Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You never know the impact of your witness of your life. You never know. You might think like, who am I? Well, you might be the perfect person for that other person who is watching you, not in a creepy way, but like is observing your life and seeing like, is this thing for real? And when they go through that storm, how do they handle themselves? There are people all around us who are watching because their lives are upside down and they're looking for hope that they can grab hold of. Do you feel like you have a basic testimony? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you went to church every Sunday. You weren't really a rebellious teenager, and now you're raising your own Christian family. Well, Pastor James reminds you today that your testimony is still valuable, even if you don't think that it stands out. There are people on the outside of the church looking in and wondering if the Christian life is worth it for them. Be encouraged that God can work with your story as well. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. I think the church is going to be the most shocked people in heaven. Probably more specifically, the Church of America. We're going to get there, and we're going to, probably most people in are going to wonder if they're in the wrong place. They're like, wait, wait, did I get something wrong? Because this is totally different than what I thought. Oh, yeah, you missed out. God is a God of, yes, there, there's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to celebrate. There's a time for fasting, but there's also a time of partying and celebrating. And heaven does it all the time. It does it all the time. It does it in, in ways in which the church is just really not good at. Prodigals will return home. And the church is like, I wonder how long that'll last. Heaven's like throwing a party. An unbeliever will get saved. I wonder if that was real. I wonder if that actually will stick, is oftentimes what happens in the church. And the heaven celebrates. I, I want to be in tune with what's happening in heaven. So when the lost get saved or the lost are found, I want to throw a party. I want to celebrate. I want to practice for heaven. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like as far as when the Lord comes back and if I'll be up there before a rapture or however the end times work, I don't know. But man, if I'm up there before it's all said and done down here, there's going to be a lot of parties happening up there, a lot of celebration. And this doesn't mean that we're like, you know, blind to realities around us and the pain and the suffering that's happening within our world. Not at all. But we always, as Christians, will have a reason to celebrate. We always have a reason to celebrate. There's a time to, to be brokenhearted, and there's a time to mourn. And what, whatever breaks God's heart, I want that to break my heart. Whatever grieves him, I want to be grieved by the same thing. Like, I want to be moved in the same way. But man, when he's celebrating, I want to celebrate too. And I just love these reminders, because they're, they're sprinkled all throughout the scriptures, where the Lord's like, 
it's time to take off the sackcloth. It's time to throw a party. The prodigal is coming home. The father is off the porch, running to the prodigal, slaughtering a fatted calf and all sorts. I mean, it's barbecue time. It's like, get Ray on a smoker and it, like, let's, let's go down. Let, you know, let's, let's have a party, a celebration. Why? Because that's a victory. That's a win. So we want to celebrate those things. I say that because I don't want us to get into that mode of like, not rejoicing when we should be rejoicing. You know, if we go out to the Gulf and we baptize people, man, we should be the loudest people on the beach celebrating. If somebody comes forward at the end of a service and gives their life to the Lord, this room should erupt with celebration. It just should. Because that's what's happening in our actual home, heaven. So here God is telling his people, he's like, yeah, I know you fasted. I know you mourned during those seasons in Babylon, but you're not in Babylon anymore. You're not in Babylon anymore. Now, side note, fasting is a discipline that should be practiced by Christians. You should fast, okay? Whatever that fast looks like for you, set that up between you and God, okay? If that's skipping lunch one day a week so that you can take that time to read and pray, do that. Take a whole day. I don't know. Fast from this or fast from that. Fasting is a discipline that Christians should practice. Jesus said, when you fast. Not if, but when. So that means we need to fast. This is not saying you should never fast. This is just saying these guys were grieving and in a time of mourning because they got spanked by God. He used Babylon to take them captive and so they were mourning during that process. So the, the fasting and all that, it was welcome there. Now, we know from earlier passages, they weren't really doing it right because it was more about them and not about God. He's already called them out on that, okay? So that's a good reminder for us too. But we should fast so that, that we're exercising this spiritual discipline within our lives. But you're not in Babylon anymore, so to speak. You're no longer, you're, you're not a captive anymore. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been set free. Fast because you want to put your flesh into submission and it doesn't have power and control over you. You want to use that time to grow closer to the Lord. Do those things. But don't sacrifice a time of celebration either. Like celebrate. Praise, you know, Worship is not just what happens on the stage. Worship is how we live our lives in adoration towards God and celebrate. Just celebrate when you can, okay? Just do that. Be happy. Make people wonder, like, what is wrong with you, okay? That's a great question when people ask you that, right? What is wrong with you? I'm, I just love the Lord, Jesus. He set me free. So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. And I, I'm so happy about it. I actually would like you to be happy about that. So I would want you to be set free. The world needs to see that. Because if they walk by here all the time and they look in the windows and it looks like a funeral home, they're not coming in. They don't want to be here. But if there's like this Holy Spirit joy, well, people, especially in our day, people are looking for hope. They're desperate for hope. So if they see us and they're like, we love each other and we care about each other and we care about our neighbor and all that, 
People will be attracted to that. Verse 20, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. Let's worship the Lord of Heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of Heaven's armies and to ask for his blessing. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, 10 men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. This is what you want. As the people of God, you would, hopefully your goal would be that people would seek you out to be like, hey, I think you know him. Like, can I, like, how do I know your God? Like, that's a great thing. And this is ultimately, I think a lot of this is future for specifically for Jerusalem. But I think there's a a good practical application here for believers today. You want people seeking you out. Why? Not for yourself, but because of who you're connected to. If you're connected to Jesus, you would want people to to seek you out, so to speak, and maybe tug on your sleeve and be like, hey, I, I want what you have. I want what you have. So I, I don't know. I watch you and I've, I've seen you go through storms and somehow you're not a mess. Somehow you haven't given up. How do I get what you have? That's essentially how I got saved. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Okay. Nobody ever shared the gospel with me. I watched the gospel lived out in other people's lives. And I've shared this with you guys time and time again. When I finally surrendered to Jesus, I was by myself in Colorado. What led up to that was me watching other Christians or Christians, because I wasn't one, and how they treated each other and how they loved me and like welcomed in this like punk kid who did not talk like them, who did not act like them, but they embraced me and brought me in. And I watched, I watched them live this thing out. And the one thing that stuck with me was all these guys seem so happy. How do I get that happiness? They seem like they have peace in their life. How do I get that peace? Because I know what was missing in me and I know what they had. And it wasn't any front that they were putting on. This is just how they lived their lives because they were in love with Jesus. And I watched them. And what that, what that created within me was, I want what you have. How do I get what you have? Now, I never approached anybody about that. And praise God, Jesus knows how to hunt us down um, wherever we're at and meet us wherever we're at. But I know for myself, I watched these Christian kids worshiping God free. They had peace. They had joy, and I didn't have any of those things, and I wanted it. So in one sense, I was tugging at their sleeve, being like, hey, so like, I think you're connected to somebody I'm not connected to. I think you know something that I don't know. And they did. They knew Jesus. And then eventually, I got saved. But a lot of that was because of those individuals just living it out. You never know who's watching you. You never know the impact of your witness of your life. You never know. You might think like, who am I? 
Well, you might be the perfect person for that other person who is watching you, not in a creepy way, but like is observing your life and seeing like, is this thing for real? And when they go through that storm, how do they handle themselves? There are people all around us who are watching because their lives are upside down and they're looking for hope that they can grab hold of. And they will watch Christians who will go through just tragedy and storms and they will watch and see how you get through those things and you won't get through them perfectly, but you will make them through it. And then you come out the other side celebrating and rejoicing. And then that, that messes with people because then they'll, they'll see that and they'll be like, how do I get that? Because I'm going through a storm right now and my life's upside down and there's no hope at all. I can't find any hope. And I've tried this and I've tried that. I've read this. I've read that. I've watched this or whatever. How are you so composed when your life seems like it's falling apart? And then you have the opportunity to say, what's the Lord? It's the Lord. People will tug on your sleeve when you're just living it out. You're just living it out. We're, we're living in days where the, it's, it's growing darker. And the word actually says that this is supposed to happen. It's going to happen. So as the world grows darker, the, the church and, and believers, specifically within the church, should shine brighter. Okay? So... You're going to go out there. You're not going to live it out perfectly. Nobody has asked you to live out this Christian life perfectly. Nobody is expecting you to live out this life perfectly. If you have that on yourself, you need to stop that. You need to rebuke that in one sense, because perfectionism is not something that is attainable by any of us. Speaking as a perfectionist who has been driving himself crazy his entire life because of perfectionism. You can't be perfect. The world doesn't want perfect. The world wants real. Your family members who don't know Jesus, they want real faith. They want authentic relationship. They want to see what that looks like. So it will be a beautiful mess. Much like our church, we are a beautiful mess. But man, what you see is what you get. And my life with Jesus is, well, I, I don't know. His patience is incredible, okay? That's all I know. From my knowing myself and my relationship with Jesus, his patience is amazing. And it never runs out, okay? Trust me. Um, I'm not purposely testing him on that, but my goodness, I would have squashed me a long time ago, okay? Like, I would have been like, you know what? Uh, he's just not getting it, okay? Um, let's just call him up. Uh, no. He has so much love and patience for us. And all he wants us to do is like, just to get out there and to live for him. Just live for him. Get in the word, pray, do those things. But then when you're out in public or you're with your family, you just seek out the Holy Spirit's help to like, okay, I just want to live this thing out. Like, I just want to be a witness, kind of like at the end of Zechariah chapter eight, where People might want to tug on my sleeve because they, because like, you know somebody I need to know. You have peace that I'm looking for. How do I get that peace? So let me talk to you about Jesus. 
it's out there. It's more out there than, than what we, we, we realize within the church. There are more people who are, who are hurting out there. We know that, but there are a lot of people who are desperate for hope. They are desperate for what you have in Jesus. And it may not seem like it. It may not feel like it, but I promise you, I promise you, there are people that are out there that are desperately seeking for what you have. And I can say that because I was one. I was that guy. I was the guy watching the Christians and desiring what you have because I have spent my whole life trying to find it. They're out there, trust me. So we want to be out there. We want to, we want to not just claim to know Jesus. We want to actually, we want to have that strong relationship with him. And what's true for, I believe, Jerusalem and future tense and all that good stuff. I know how this works, the prophecies and all that. It's, I think this is a later date type stuff, right? Type scenario. But I also know there's some very good per- personal application within this verse for each and every one of us. Because we can look at that and be like, well, that's from Jerusalem. That's not really for me. On to the next chapter. No, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Why can't that be true for you? I think people should be so enamored by your peace that surpasses all understanding that has been given to you by God that they would be attracted to that. So chapter 9. This is a shift, okay? Chapter 8, 1 through 8 is all these visions and these visions and oracles and all this good stuff. Chapter 9 through 14, not going to cover all that. But there's two oracles or messages that are communicated in this, this chunk. And here's where you get to the future stuff. Remember the tamales at the beginning? Um, here is our heavenly tamale in chapter 9. Um, here's what happens here, okay? Look, verse 1. This is the message or the oracle from the Lord against the land of Aram. In the city of Damascus, for the eyes of humanity, including all the tribes of Israel, are on the Lord. Now, historically, let me tell you what's kind of signified within this portion of scripture. You're going to have the conquest of Alexander the Great, which technically I think happens about 200 or so years after this is written. Okay, so this is prophecy. Meaning it's talked about before it even happens, okay? Uh, but you're going to have the conquest from Alexander the Great. Uh, you're going to have in this time too, time period as well, you're going to have such things as like the Maccabean Rebellion will happen at a later date within this time period. Everything that's talked about in Daniel chapter 8 is kind of like referenced within this, what we're about to read. Some of these cities falling and everything, okay? So this is future stuff for them history type stuff for us looking back. But he says, doom is certain for Hamath near Damascus. That's uh, Damascus is the capital in Syria. It's just to the north of Israel there. Um, Hamath is a city that would be right there by them. So they're in the north. And for the cities of Tyre and Sidon, though they are so clever, Tyre has built a strong fortress and has made silver and gold as plentiful as dust in the streets. But now the Lord will strip away Tyre's possessions and hurl its fortifications into the sea, and it will be burned to the ground. Okay, so what's, what's fascinating about that is that happened. Like, literally, that happened. Now, what's amazing about that is uh, Alexander the Great was able to do that in seven months when Nebuchadnezzar had tried for 13 years to try to destroy Tyre. And it was that the Assyrians had tried for five years to destroy 
uh, Tyre. And Alexander the Great's like, I can do this. So he builds a causeway to get to this little island city, and they march across the ruins of the old city and go there, and they completely decimate Tyre. That happens exactly as God said it was going to happen. This isn't Zechariah looking back and saying, oh, you remember Tyre, how it was destroyed? No, this is him by the, by the Holy Spirit looking forward saying, this is what's going to happen. And it happened almost exactly as they said. It's incredible. But it says the city of Ashkelon will see Tyre fall and will be filled with fear. Gaza will shake with terror as will Ekron, for their hopes will be dashed. Gaza's king will be killed and Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy the city of Ashdod. I will destroy the pride of the Philistines. All of those cities are within the Philistine region of Israel. So he's just saying, this, it's following uh, Alexander the Great, his march throughout Israel and as he's conquering these cities. And the fear that that was uh, invoking on some of these towns Alexander the Great conquered Tyre in uh, 332 B.C. What's amazing is uh, there's a story behind that. When um, he was approaching Jerusalem, uh, one of the priests had a dream that God had given him before when they had heard Alexander the Great was coming. And God had told him, like, have everybody dress in white and get, you know, but pretty much I'm going to summarize this in, in just a short way. But basically prepare a feast or a festival kind of a thing as he's approaching. Cause, and he did that. And what's crazy about that is it like Alexander the great, I think if I'm remembering it right, didn't he have like God had spoke to him too or something. I, I don't know. I, I read through the story. I was reminded of it today. And unfortunately I read the long version and then I kind of dozed off halfway through it. I was like, I spaced out. I was like, what, what's going on here? Um, anyways, God intervened for Jerusalem in a crazy miraculous way. Um, that was just, it was incredible concerning that story and Jerusalem was spared going on though, concerning the, the Philistines and, and their, their cities. Verse seven, he says, I will grab the bloody meat from their mouths. Um, and snatch the detestable sacrifices from their, their teeth. Then the surviving Philistines will worship our God and will become like the clan of Judah. The Philistines of, of Ekron will join my people as the ancient Jebusites once did. I will guard my temple and protect it from the invading armies. I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people's land. Right? So God's bringing in this... Alexander the Great, he's using him to, you know, to set some things straight because that's what God can do. But the focus gets back onto Jerusalem here. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O, o people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on the donkey's colt. Wait, I've heard of this verse before. Where, ha- where have I heard it? Oh, Palm Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Easter time. We're like, wait a minute. Yeah, this is, this is a prophecy that has been fulfilled. It's been, it's one of the many prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And here it is, right here, right in Zechariah chapter nine. This is, this is your, I mean, this is your heavenly tamale right here. This is like, oh, oh, sweet man. This, for them, this was, they were like, our Messiah, he's coming in. But wait, why on a donkey? Because a king, coming in bringing peace would ride on a donkey a king coming in to conquer would ride on a a horse 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.